to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. Denver Sports tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Marcello Romano. I'm Will Peterson. We will roll with you for the next hour as the Broncos have now established their practice squad. Their guys have gone through waivers. They didn't claim anyone. No one that they cut got claimed. This 53-man roster is coming into focus along with a 17-man practice squad. The Broncos announced 14 of those guys within the last hour. They have reportedly signed three others from around the league. We will pass those names on as the show goes on. Cello, uh, another step to make it feel more real, my friend, that, uh, listen, man, we got a 53-man roster. We got a practice squad. This is the 2023 Denver Broncos. Yeah, but how do you feel about it? Oh, let's go big picture. Right <laughs> on. That's right what on. I want to know is, is how does... How does Will the Thrill feel about it? All right, so here's my analogy on the Albert O thing, because that's obviously been the the most dominant talking point the last 24 hours. Albert O is like the team that gets snubbed at the bubble, and everyone gets mad that 11-seeded Syracuse got in over 11-seeded Northwestern. And then they go and lose in the first round. And then they go and lose in the first round by 25. (laughs) And no one's upset about the snub anymore because it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? If you wanted to make the dance... Just be one of the 68 best teams in the country. Don't be the 69th but best But what does team? it tell you about the player then? I guess my question to you is this would have been his fourth year here, right? Correct. And, yes, we saw as far as a pass-catching tight end, I mean, there's not there, – there was a lot of talent, right? A lot of ability there. There was definitely flashes, particularly in the third preseason game. In the last 24 to 48 hours, we're getting all these videos from Stink being like, this dude just can't – he can't block his way out of a paper bag. Yeah. And we all knew that. Yes, and just to finish my analogy real quick, if Albert Elb wanted to make the 53, be one of the 53 best players, he's Syracuse versus Northwestern. That's what Albert O is, right? He's the bubble team that's going to lose in the first round. Guess what, Cello? If he had made the team, he wouldn't get a jersey on game days. You can only give 46 jerseys out. He was going to be one of your seven inactives anyways. So these people all up in arms about Albert O, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish we had Albert O so we could make him inactive. That That's what I'm confused <laughs> about, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. Why are we so focused on this one dude when, to your point, what are your big questions about this roster? So that was where I was going with that March Madness thing. But, yeah, you're you're right. So so where do you check in on this? Because I, I can see both sides. Stink says he can't block, but you also said, hey, he's a, he's a very good pass catcher. Were you bummed they let – they ultimately didn't let him go. They traded him to the Eagles for a tiny bit of draft compensation. I guess uh, the, the only thing is, is kind of lean on the side of – we knew what he was going into it, and I thought he had made some strides recently. Obviously, a lot of people would say not even close to being good enough, especially from a blocking sense. But did Julius Thomas ever block while he was here? And I don't want to say that he was going to be the next Julius Thomas, but out of the group in that tight end room, how who's the closest thing to it? Probably Greg Dulcich, but I see where you're going with Albert. I mean, I guess my question is, if he were out on the field, had he gotten the jersey on Sunday, when people got out, when he was out on the field – that changes a defense because they're they're accounting for him as a pass catching tight end, correct. correct? Whereas if you put one of the other two guys in, or maybe you do a, a two tight end set, you know it's an obvious running down. 
I think you could make a case that you, you put that in, especially at the new age NFL. I mean, but Sean Payton has had, he's had Jimmy Graham. He had Jimmy Graham in, in New Orleans, and I'm not saying he's even that level, but Jimmy Graham was never known for being like a a road grader, right? What was his skill set? No, he wasn't, and I think you make a good point here. It's like, if you're a top-tier tight end in this league, you don't have to block. Like, Travis Kelsey, no one's going to care if he blocks. George right. Kittle, no one's going to care if he blocks. But he's he's a, he's a monster, though. He is, but I think we got to be careful of tossing those names around and throwing the Julius Thomas around when Albert O got beat out by an undrafted rookie, Nate Atkins. I don't know the <laughs> first thing about Nate Atkins, Cello. Actually, I do. I know one thing about Nate Atkins. He took Albert O's job. And it's yeah. like, if you're getting beaten out by an undrafted free agent rookie, this coaching staff, no matter what you did against the Rams, was just ready to cut bait. They were. Yeah, and I I, I, I would tend to agree with you. That would, That's where as we grew up as athletes. You're like, oh, man, I don't think the coach likes me. Well, maybe just it's not you personally, but it isn't like your skill set. Mm-hmm. And I think he was kind of, I think the writing was on the wall when that first depth chart came out. And I think he kind of knew where he stood at that point. I would I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere else and we hear his name this year though. Well he's in Philly. And last time I checked Philly was a play away from winning the Super Bowl. So clearly they do know how to build a roster up there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I guess if you're in the the belief that Jalen Hurts is the real deal, then we're going to see him probably get some opportunities. Who's ahead of him in Philly? I mean uh, I don't know them well enough. Yeah, is, to, it, is it Dallas Goddard, I want to say off the top of yeah, my head? That's, that's probably like it. That. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. If if Albert O's catching a touchdown in the NFC title game, can you imagine the panic across Denver? You know, it's a Niners-Eagles rematch, and Albert O's, uh, Albert O's making plays in a playoff game. Well, and then you can set the timer on when James is going to put out that I told you so tweet, correct? He, he has been on one about Albert O. But, okay, so I, I've kind of asked you, but I feel like I haven't gotten a firm answer. Do you wish the Broncos had kept Albert O? I was uh, I was a little surprised. I was in the camp over the last week or so that I think he had done enough, or I thought he had done enough, and he flashed out at at camp when the the Rams were in town. He made some plays, when, but I mean, you can, I guess, flashes aren't enough, you know. I mean, I guess we all get caught up as fans as that shiny new toy. We want what the Chiefs have with with a, a pass catching tight end. We want what it was back when Manning was here and Julius Thomas. Everyone knew he wasn't going out there to help the run game. He was out there because he was a threat offensively as a pass catcher, correct? And even if you want to go 25 years ago, Shannon Sharp, we all saw that at that time too. Yeah, and even to, even for, but he there was a difference there because he like George Kittle was built to be a road grader, you know? I mean, they had that that unique skill set where they were strong enough to be good blockers and they were unbelievably talented as an athlete to go out and catch the football and get open as well. So Yeah, I'm not trying to sell Shannon short, but he also had 10-plus touchdowns in two or three seasons the two right. years they won Super Bowls. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I was, I'll was i put it on this. I'm not horribly disappointed he's gone, but I am a little. I was a little surprised after the, the strides he was seemingly making um, and Sean Payton being kind of more that offensive guy to kind of like, let's just put the defense in a bad spot. Right. Maybe that's what was a little bit more surprising to me. And, and he didn't get a jersey last year for Nathaniel Hackett, but guess who did give him a jersey? Jerry Rosberg in those last two games. And he made plays in those last two games. Exactly. He, caught a, he caught a touchdown in those last two games. So if the Jer Bear can get something out of Alberto, then Sean Payton should be able to get something out of Alberto. I mean, this was the one that we were thinking about going into cut day, that this was the one that was talked about the most, right? But is there any other surprising moves or non-moves that were made? Um, I know Jonathan Taylor was 
at one point that they said the Broncos were in discussion to go out and bring that guy in? Anything that you were like hoping for or surprised by? Well, to me, it was the kickers. And the kicker has become more and more valuable in the NFL. We saw it week one last year, right? The kicker, you know, he was put in an unfair position, but the football was on Brandon McManus's leg in Seattle. Um, 60, 64 was ridiculous, but it was still on his foot. And Shella, where I go with that is they had their pick of three kickers who will kick in the NFL this year. McManus will kick for Jacksonville. Brett Maher got signed today by the L.A. Rams, and Will Lutz will kick here. So that will be a fascinating thing to follow those three kickers all year and see who is the best of the three because on paper to me, Will Lutz is the worst kicker. McManus is the best. Maher's the second best. Lutz is the third best. He's, he was a 74% field goal kicker last year in New Orleans. That's kicking in a dome. That's not a good percentage indoors. So I think, Cello, the kicker really caught my attention because the Broncos at one point had three of the 32 kickers in the league in their control, <laughs> and the guy they settled on I think is the worst of the three. Does that make sense? Oh, I think it makes perfect sense, but it just kind of begs the question, what happened? You know, we've kind of th- we talked about that before. Why why was that move made in the first place? Why was it made when it was made? And now you go back and it's like, I get you want your guy. If you wanted your guy, I mean, like th- this move could have been made a while ago, don't you think? Yeah, because they had the kid from Notre Dame who the Saints were going to pick all along. You could have traded for Will Lutz three weeks ago. You could have traded for him a month ago. And I think, too, Brett Maher, he made all his kicks against San Fran. He made seven of seven kicks against the Rams. The whole point was, can Maher get rid of the yips? Can he kick? Those That first preseason game wasn't pretty. I get it. But he went something like 11 of 11, 12 of 12 in the final two. And Sean Payton still said, I want Will Lutz. To your point, that shows you all along. Sean Payton had made up his mind a month ago. Will, oh, Will yeah. Lutz was his kicker. The Maher thing was a total charade. And again, I think Maher's a better kicker than Will Lutz. I agree with you. I mean, I think a lot of these decisions that we've seen play out in the last 48 hours were made probably weeks in advance. I mean, then you have to go through the motions, right? We knew, I think, most of us, when we saw where Albert O was put on that initial depth chart, we should have known right then and there. There ain't no way he's making that team. Well, and couldn't you have, couldn't you have, couldn't Nate Atkins have gotten through waivers? Of course he could have. Nate Atkins could have gotten through waivers in a heartbeat. Every other guy for the Broncos did. As I started the show, they had no one claimed. So you could still have Albert O on the 53 and Nate Atkins on the practice squad. If you were enamored by Nate Atkins, whatever, good for you. But he could have been a practice squad guy and Albert O could be on the 53. Again, I think we're debating the NCAA tournament bubble here. I don't think it's going to ultimately affect the 2023 Broncos. But I think what you're getting at here is we all know Sean Payton likes to do things his own way. He has George Payton as a sounding board. There was a couple puzzling decisions made in the last couple of days. Oh, agree, which kind of leads you to believe what else is coming down the road. I mean, there's been a a lot of different decisions made since he kind of kind of took assumed the power. Right. We talked about it last time I was here about, oh, you can only have a certain number of people at training camp. And oh, Legwald had a story about it. Right. That it was because some of the. Notified the the fire uh, fire official about the, the it. The snitch to the fire chief no, or whatever. No, I mean there's a control aspect to this, and part of me kind of respects that because we haven't had that in the past seven years, and something had to change drastically. And we're talking about names like Nate Atkins and Albert O, and these guys aren't. They're not going to play into what's going to make happen. What's going to happen with the Broncos? In 2023, but who will is Sean Payton. Yep. Who will is Russell Wilson. Correct. Uh, Stidham played okay the other night. 
I don't know if that's a true narrative or if that's like this is the kind of fodder that we get into at this point of the season, right? Right before it gets going, of like, hey, these are the storylines that we're going to 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 pick up on. When in reality, we should be talking about the people that did make the team, the people that did shine in preseason and in 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 camp, like Jaleel. Joel McLaughlin, man, he's a great story. I mean, they had four undrafted free agents make this team, Cello. We know they had that streak of like 16 years in a row or whatever yeah. it was where they had one. And one was thought to be a big deal. They had four. That goes to show you how terrible the depth was on this roster on the tail end of the John Elway drafts and the George Payton drafts to some extent with the Montreal Washingtons of the world who couldn't even yeah. make it into year two that Sean Payton came in here and goes, this depth stinks so much that I had to sign four guys to my 53 that didn't even get drafted last April. It used to be a big deal if they had one, and now they have four. I think that's a really interesting point. Give me the, give me the four names. Because I, 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 would, I would be willing to bet most of Broncos country would say, other than Jaleel, there's probably not there's not a bunch that I mean uh well, one guy we've been talking about is Nate Atkins, so there's yes. two for you. <laughs> uh the third one was oof. Thomas Incoom, an outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a play Thomas Incoom made in the preseason, do you? That name was when I think I heard it today during Stokely and Zach, and I was like, what wait, I I don't really remember. I don't recall the name. I at mean all. Elijah Garcia made more plays. Yeah. He did play two lousy games with the Broncos last year, so he doesn't count. They claimed him off the Rams practice squad as an undrafted free agent a year ago. Yeah. So you could almost make a case he's sort of five. And then the last name is that tackle, Alex. Have fun with that one. Yeah. Hey, KJ, can you help me out on that? <laughs> Alex Palzuski? Palzuski, maybe? KJ is <laughs> efforting. He's efforting. Pazuski? Pazuski? <laughs> Alex Pazuski. We'll go with that. I can't tell if that's an I or an L. Regardless, you're right. Jaleel is the household name, and the other three made the 53 cello. Because the depth just wasn't here. It just wasn't. It wasn't left behind in the 2020 draft by John Elway. And George Payton, yes, he was a little hands tied behind his back with the amount of picks he had because of the Russell Wilson deal. But it just depth depth is is a strength of good teams. And when you have four undrafted free agent guys making your roster, that catches your attention. Oh yeah, and especially if you're the head coach who's basically acting GM, right? I mean, he's come in and he's, he's uh, assumed a lot of power from from the onset and it's basically like saying, "Hey, these not only your regime with your Montreal pick because that was one that was, you know, I mean, we've all heard the stories about him and, and Russell watching hours of tape and and like basically highlighting him as being like he's going to be a weapon and then you go out in the first year that you have uh Sean Payton, you get undrafted Jaleel McLaughlin and, and who to me I'm excited to see that guy play this year. For one of the things, and I don't know how much run he's going to get, but I just keep thinking of Darren Sproles when mm. he went to New Orleans. Yep, um, he's not. He doesn't have body type like Taysom Hill, but I, I find that I think Sean Payton's going to find innovative ways to get him involved with this offense. And I'm a, that's one of the players he's going to be a fan favorite, I believe. Yeah. By the way, we're going to go with Alex Palcheski on that tackle for the Broncos. My fault. I'm getting his name wrong. Palcheski. I, I hope I don't have to use his name this year because I hope that means Bowles and McGlinchey are healthy. To your point on Jaleel, though, they have three running backs. Javante's coming off major, major surgery. Right. Miraculous recovery. We're all thrilled for Javante. But even today, Sean Payton mentioned he might have to be on, quote-unquote, a pitch count week one against the Raiders. And that's, that's reasonable. He tore his ACL and two other ligaments 10 months ago, 11 months ago. That's reasonable. And then Samaje, 
yeah, Samaje's flash, but Samaje's never been the guy. He's been behind Joe Mixon. So I think, Cello, you see, let's say, let's say you're in Miami week three. Yeah. And all you have at halftime is a lousy field goal. And you're losing to the Dolphins 14-3, 17-3. Sean Payton needs a spark. That's when you'll see Jaleel McLaughlin. Because like you said, he's going to become a fan favorite. You know why? Because he's going to be like Philip Lindsay super early on. He's going to be that spark plug when you need a change of pace. Yeah, and, and then the other two guys, we haven't ever really seen even Javante Williams. It was split in carries, right? Even up until injury time last year. With, and With the infamous one, Mr. Fumbling Melvin Gordon. Exactly. And I love Pirine. I do. I always loved watching him play in Cincinnati, but he was always that change of pace, kind of that, that bruiser who could come in after Mixon was a little bit more f- finesse of a running back, more uh, more agility involved. Pirine would come in and he just, he'd go Chris Berman on him, right? Yes. Just tire down a defense. You get that involved, and then you throw in the, the little mighty might and Jaleel McLaughlin. I think that could be exciting to watch in 2023. By the way, we have some news in just the last few minutes here on both Montrell Washington and Marquez Callaway, two guys whose names we've mentioned in the program thus far. Uh, Montrell Washington is reportedly headed to the Chiefs. Okay, that uh. gets interesting. Practice squad, not 53, practice squad, just like fumbled Melvin Gordon last year. And then Marquez Callaway, guys is reportedly headed to the Raiders. So in the last hour, two guys you have cut in Callaway's just the last couple minutes have ended up on division rivals. At a position, Cello, you are unbelievably thin at. You have four wide receivers on your active roster. You have three of which are healthy because we don't know about Jerry Judy. And yet, and I understand, and we'll go through the practice squad later in the show, Lil Jordan Humphrey, they added Philip Dorsett today, David Sills, um... One other, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. But my point being, this was a position you needed more bodies, and yet Montrell's a chief and Callaway's a Raider. Those are both curious to me. Oh, not only that, but for people that are, have grown up watching Broncos football, that you know, going to a rival is one thing. When you said Chiefs, there's one name that popped in my mind automatically: Eddie Kennison. God, and you knew it right away, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that he left on different terms, of course. I mean, he told everybody he was done. He quit, and then shortly thereafter joined the Chiefs and had success there in beating the Broncos a few times. But you never want to see a bad decision, and those are one of the ones that George Payton will probably be like, when you play, if he's, for whatever reason ever, you know, moved to the active, or the active roster, you don't want to see that guy be involved in putting you down and making you lose a game. So Yeah, we, we don't want to see Montreal taking any punts to the house against the Broncos. Well, as bad as it's been here, I mean, who's the dude that went to Buffalo? Uh, Isaiah. Isaiah McKenzie. As bad as it was here, sometimes people just need a change of scenery and they go out and they excel at a, at a, at a different location. You don't want to see that happen here. Especially as much as I was on board of like, dude, this dude's a bust. Like, they're giving him opportunity after opportunity to try and to, to make, you know, plays last year, and then, sure enough, he gets cut this year, but you don't want to see him have success in Kansas City, that's for sure. No, and the difference, obviously, and you sort of hinted at it, is Montreal Washington's just looking for a job. So I, I don't begrudge, begrudge the kid for going to find his next job. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, he, he wasn't really welcome back here. We didn't hear a lot of chatter about him on this practice squad, so good for him for finding a gig, but you're right. I'd rather I'd rather he went and signed with the Carolina Panthers, you know, the Tampa <laughs> yeah. Bay Buccaneers. I'd prefer anonymous NFC team over in the last, again, hour, and, and we're just getting this news in real time. The Broncos are thin at receiver. 
and two receivers in Montreal, Washington, and Marquez Callaway, who were literally members of the Denver Broncos uh, 30-ish hours ago. Yeah. One now plays for the Chiefs, and one now plays for the Raiders. Difficult. I mean, if they if they end up doing anything, I don't want to wish any ill will to any of them. I hope they go out and they have success. I just hope they don't have it against Denver going forward. I think the bigger questions that we have to, to answer, Will, are like, I mean, Russell, we, the last time I was here, it was pre-training camp. Mm. So at that point, has anything changed? <laughs> yes. What have, what have you seen throughout camp, throughout yeah. the preseason? How are you feel going into it? Because I still feel like there's a lot of apprehension or cautious optimism around Broncos yeah. country. Where do you stand on it? I mean, the, the, the first week of camp was, was painful, Cello. It was painful. We had two-and-a-half-hour practices where we didn't have a touchdown to talk about because he was throwing picks to Justin Simmons and his his footballs were getting batted down, and, and it was just like, oh, my goodness, this looks like 2022, Russ. And then something happened. And I don't know if that was truly the install or what, but I thought week two and week three in camps, he looked great. He's hitting Cortland Sutton left and right uh, for touchdowns. He was developing chemistry with Adam Troutman, who became the number one tight end on this team. Marvin Mims, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the rookie making plays. Jerry Judy had his moments before he got carted off and hurt. Um, so to me, I ultimately left encouraged because I was like Eeyore after week one of camp. I was just pouting. Like, you kidding me? This guy's still out a quarter billion, and I'm just going to keep my head down, and everything stinks. And then week two of camp, he looked great. And then in Arizona, you know what? His offensive line was pitiful, and he still found a way to get a touchdown. And then in San Francisco, that's where Skinny Russ came into play. That's where the 15 pounds came into play because he had three runs for 25 yards, and he had the fourth run that was going to go for what? Another 15, and it got called back on the Cortland Sutton hold, and it was sort of like, oh, if this dude has his legs again, watch out. He can be Seattle Russ again. So it was a roller coaster, but to answer your question, I am much higher on Russ than the last time you and I talked yeah, about but a month ago. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're bought in. I'm not bought, but Cello, I was like, sell, 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 and now I'm like, hold. I want to see it. Now Now I'm more in the middle. Now I'm not, like, making up my mind on Russ. I am truly going into week one as a neutral party, whereas a month ago I was kind of convinced he was good. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people around here feel that way. I think I think the biggest thing, and I, was, I heard DMAC say this today, that Aaron Rodgers has it. Russell Wilson, did, hey, KJ, did he say he doesn't or he doesn't think he have it? has it? Because to me, he had it at one point, right? So he he was referencing leadership. Yeah. He didn't. He's saying that Russ doesn't have it because he operates better when he has a strong coach, which he's always had up until last year. Gotcha. So what he's saying is he basically was riding the coattails of a strong personality at the head coach position. But here's my, my question is, and I asked, I think I asked you this, well, one time when I was on, do you watch the Manning cast? And out of any, uh, no? It, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a flip back. I love Peyton. I love Peyton. Yeah. But, but I kind of just want to watch a traditional football game, and that's through no fault of Peyton or Eli. I just sort of want to watch Monday Night Football, as I've always known Again, Monday I get Night you. Football. And normally, yeah. I guess if it's my team, I'll probably watch just the general broadcast. Yeah. But other teams, I find it entertaining to watch it. And out of all the guests that they've had on over the past couple of years, they had Russell on two years ago. And for him to be able to sit there and spit game with Peyton and Eli on the fly and do it, it to me is like, I think he did have it. Now, 
I would say last year he got lost in trying to transform himself into something that he's just not. And, and, and hopefully that realization has come to the forefront. And being that Sean Payton was the coach of Drew Brees, and that's the guy he tried to model himself afterwards last year, right? That was his guy. Like, I want to morph my career, yep. the end of my career, into what Drew Brees was able to do in New Orleans. The only problem is you're not Drew Brees. You have different skill, skill sets. You have different ways that you manage the football game. And I think you that realization alone, I think he did have it. I think you'll see it this year. And I think that, to me, I'm excited to watch it this year. Because I can't, I can't believe that you're going to say this is a Hall of Fame player. And I understand how quickly it can fall off for a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah. I just don't think it's there for Rush yet. All right. Well, we'll have to see how it plays out. Obviously, week one is right around the corner. We get a juicy college slate this weekend, and then it is NFL time. But coming up on the other side, we have the full 17-man practice squad. The Broncos have more wide receivers on their practice squad than they do healthy wide receivers on their 53. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Ah, the King Supers fan football pick'em is back. Can you beat the fan hosts? The weekly winner gets 250 bucks to King Supers, and the grand prize winner receives groceries for a year. You can register now at denversports.com slash picks. I am signed up. Will Peterson, you can compete against me. Marcello Romano, I'm sure you'll get signed up. Uh... Let's talk about this real fast. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Where'd you finish last year? Low, because I tried to get cute. Yeah? I always tried to get cute, and, you know, I saw 87% were picking this team, so I was on the 13%. Mm. And and we're not picking, I want to make it clear, we're not picking spreads, we're picking winners. Yeah, yeah. So don't overthink it. You know, you're just picking winners. I've never read that book. What do you mean? Things that losers say. Uh, but but I do want to reemphasize this. I mean, everyone knows, guys, right now, groceries are expensive. Oh, yeah. The grand prize gets groceries for a year. That is, uh, think about how much money you are going to save. So I would encourage people to sign up, denversports.com slash picks. And guess what? You win one week, you get 250 bucks. So I don't know how big your family is, but if you're a single guy or gal, that's probably two runs to the store. <laughs> yeah. You got four kids that at least covers one or or most of one, so I would encourage folks to go sign up. All right, we're talking about these receivers, Chell. Yeah. Can you name? Well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but there's only four on the fifty-three, including three of which are healthy. Yeah. It's Cortland Sutton, Marvin Mims, Marvin Mims, Brandon Johnson, Brandon Johnson, and then and then Jerry Judy, baby, let's go, Jerry oh, Judy, baby. <laughs> Is that your Drew Locke impersonation? Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, a little Buzz Lightyear there. I bet we have that drop somewhere. Jerry, Judy, baby, <laughs> let's go. That was like the COVID draft, too, where Judy was doing the dance with Goodell, like, virtually yeah. or whatever. Yep. Um, so let's talk about this. How, how do you assemble a 53-man roster and only have three healthy receivers? you got to assume that there's something. Don't you? Well, either A, Judy's not as bad as once previously thought, right, which we were talking during the break, six to eight weeks is what it was reported, right, when he got hurt last week, or B, that there's something else possibly in the works. That would be the only, those are my only two conclusions, because I don't think you can go into either that or you're going to rely heavily on one of your tight ends to get involved in the passing game, which I don't see. Can I comment on your two conclusions? Yeah. Conclusion one, he didn't go on short-term IR. 
So we know that's a good thing, right? Right. Because that would have kept him out for four games. If they knew he was going to be out four weeks, they would have put him on that, gotten an extra roster spot. He did not go on that. So they think, worst case scenario, he's playing week four against the Bears. Hopefully week three against the Dolphins. I think week two against the Commanders gets really greedy. And I think anyone who thinks he's playing week one is crazy. Right. Your second one, I'm not trying to be Captain Bringdown, but it's 634 on Wednesday, August 30th. We now know the practice squad. We now know the waivers. What is the big move that could be coming down the pipeline? I mean, there's four wide receivers on the practice squad. There's Michael Bandy and Lil Jordan Humphrey, who were in camp with them. Mm -hmm. There's David Sills, who was with the Giants, who has been signed today to the practice squad via multiple reports. Uh, And then there's this Philip Dorsett cat, who's the first-round pick, you know, several years ago, has never lived up to the hype on about five stops, and he gets a spot on the practice squad today, too. So you now have more wide receivers on the practice squad in four than you do healthy on the 53 and three. So I'm not trying to be a buzzkill cello, but I'm not really sure what the oh, big this isn't what I think's going on. Those are only conclusions that I came to, not that I think are likely to happen. If we were sitting here 24 hours ago, I would have said that conclusion has some validity. We now know the 53. We now know the 17-man practice squad. Unless George Payton and Sean Payton have a trade up their sleeves, this is it. And come week one, you'll probably see something like Lil Jordan Humphrey and David Sills or Philip Dorsett get promoted um, as you know game day additions from the practice squad to the active roster. So you're saying if if stays as is, those are which guy is going to be the one week one? I think it'll be Lil, I think it'll be Lil Jordan because I think Sean Payton knows him best from New Orleans. I think he was a candidate to make the 53 and was probably one of the very last cuts, and he was here in camp. How, how are you going to say, hey Russ? We're going to toss Philip Dorsett out there, or we're going to toss David Sills out there when, yeah, they're going to have the next, uh, you know, five, six practices together before the Raiders game. But that's not what he's had with Lil Jordan for the last month. I think it'll be Lil Jordan. Now, if you signed Julio Jones or Jarvis Landry, like some of us have suggested, they would be out there week one because they are talented enough to be out there week one. When Philip Dorsett signed this morning, I was like, really? That's the big answer to all this is Philip Dorsett? And then people got mad at me because I said, this is not a Tim Patrick replacement. And they said, ah, first-round pick, he has potential, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? At some point, if you're a first-round pick in 2015, you may just not be hitting your potential. I, I know if, if if interviewed or asked about it, Russell would have nothing but positive and glowing remarks to say about anyone that's involved with this. But to, it, deep down, you got to understand that he's probably like, where's – we want to be successful this year, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes your your hand becomes forced because, yeah, due, due to injury, you may have to make some decisions that you didn't want to at a specific time. But, dude, Will, if, if he goes through, say he comes back week five, mm-hmm. Judy, you're telling me well, that, that one, would be late because they would have put him on short-term IR if it was that late, right? Yeah, but these things are funky, dude. It is a when hammy. You, when you mess with a hamstring, you never know. I mean, that's a lingering injury. There's been enough time as an athletic trainer to know you could feel great one day. You go out and you start to stretch it out a bit. You try to go 90 95%, and then you tweak it a little bit, and you wake up the next morning feeling like, hey, something's happened. I don't, if, if you're Russ, I mean, how are you feeling about going in? One of the, what are the likelihoods that even the guys that are available now will still be available, say, even week four? Injuries have plagued this team for years and years, so it's a fair question. And if I'm Russell Wilson, and he would never, ever tell you this because Russell never tells you anything that's not happy, slappy, positive Peterson, but 
it is a disservice to Russell Wilson the way this roster was constructed. And again, if you had said that yesterday, it would have been like, well, we got to wait and see. Well, guess what? We did wait and see. And their answers are Philip Dorsett, David Sills, little Jordan Humphrey, and Michael Bandy to go along with hoping and praying that Jerry Judy's hammy heals up, Cortland Sutton, Brandon Johnson, and a rookie in Marvin Mims. It's just not enough weapons. It's not cello. And, oh, by the way, you traded one of his best pass-catching weapons, not receiving weapons, but pass-catching weapons, in Alberto to the Eagles. I think it's Sean Payton showing his hand more and more. He doesn't care that Russ is making what he's making. He is going to run the heck out of the football because your actions can sometimes tell me what you're thinking. The yeah, actions dude, but even of the way there, this roster was construction, it's a running football team. Even there, it's not like our running back room is stacked. I mean, you're relying on Javante Williams to come back off of that injury and feel like he's just going to be able to perform at 100%. You, you talked about it earlier that he's going to be on a bit of a pitch count. Uh, you have to get through, even if it's only four games, without one of those three guys getting banged up at all? I mean, if it's me, you think it's too late for a Julio Jones? You think it's too late for a Jarvis Landry? Because I think those kind of names, if, for me, even if it's a Band-Aid fix, go out and get it. Those are guys that know that can come in and they know this game well enough that you can be like, hey, what are your your five, ten favorite players right. plays that you've run basically every stop you've been in your career and then just institute those so that you have another avenue that you can go down. Do you think it's too late for one of those two guys? You're talking about the, the big name guys? Yeah. I don't know if it's too late. I, I think Julio Jones wants to play. I think Jarvis Landry wants to play. I just think chemistry takes time. And even if Julio Jones is a, a Hall of Famer someday, he's not just going to walk in the door and be Atlanta Julio Jones. He's just not. We oh, saw no, when he was in yeah, Tennessee. and I don't think you'd expect him to be that. And yes, chemistry can take time, but there's also times where if you just you're on board with it, how quickly did Russ and Tim Patrick connect? I mean, they, they didn't even get to play. And last year before I mean, he Tim got Patrick hurt, got carted off in the first week of camp, both years of Russell Wilson. Yeah, but each time, when they're saying, hey, the chemistry between these, this was like he's going to be his go-to guy, right? I mean, based on like four practices. But those cards came out 363 days apart. They did not have a lot of time together. No, my but my point is, is out of, he worked with about basically everyone in the same amount, right? They brought him out to California. They did their little passing camp. I think Judy missed a little bit of it. But he had about the same amount of time with all of them, and he was the one he gravitated towards. So, if, I'm one just for shallow. You you don't have enough players in that room. You got to add something. And I would take a threat over what you just brought onto the practice squad. Yeah, man, I can't sit here and get excited about Philip Dorsett or David Stills or Little Jordan Humphrey or Michael Bandy. Like, yeah, four of the seventeen guys on the practice squad are wide receivers. That doesn't mean any of the four. I go, ooh, cello. Guess what? Week one, little Jordan Humphrey's going to cook. I, I can't sit here and say that with a straight face. No, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. Uh, D. Wilkerson asks if Jarvis and Julio are free agents. They are. And a bunch of people are mad at us saying that Sean Payton and his staff know better than we do. Maybe they do, man. I'm just pointing out they got 53 guys on the active roster and three of them are healthy wide receivers. <laughs> I would also say anybody who does this, Gets on radio airwaves. We're not on a coaching staff, so that argument could be made day in and day out. I heard Joel Klatt say it today, and I'm not disagreeing with him. Yeah, they're out there every day, and they probably do know better than what than what we do. But a lot of times, 
we as fans or people that do this, you're going to make a statement and we'll either be proven right or proven way wrong. It doesn't mean our opinions are less valuable because you're not on a coaching staff. That's like saying last year we should have trusted everything that Nathaniel Hackett did. Mike, Mike Shanahan didn't even get that when he was here. Yeah. All right. I just thought I'd give the haters a little bit of a shout out. But coming up on the other side, it's primetime, baby. We are so close to the debut of Coach Prime. How's this game going to go down in Fort Worth? We'll dive into it. Denver Sports Station 1043, the fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. He's Marcello Romano. I'm Will Peterson. It's been a fun show. The Ramoslaw.com text line is 303-713-1043. Listen, man, I'm not trying to cause controversy. I am saying that having three healthy wide receivers on a 53-man roster is strange to me. Yes. Is that speaking out of turn? Are you with me on that? No, 100%. It's a little strange. Yeah. That's all I'm getting at. That doesn't mean I'm sitting here saying I know more than Sean Payton. All right, but we're going to let that go because I want to talk a little prime time. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. Yeah. Dude, it's here. In some ways, it feels like they hired him yesterday, Cello. And in some ways, it feels like they hired him five years ago. And the dude is still not coached a football game. And finally, come Saturday, 10 a.m., Fox. believe our buddy Joel Klatt will be on the call with Gus Johnson. That is going to be so much fun to see how this goes because I want your thoughts on it, but I can't make up my mind. Cello, I could see them going down there, and it's a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and Twitter's going insane. Oh, my goodness, the national runner-up TCU is getting all it can handle from Colorado in week one. And I also have visions of looking at that score bug and seeing 49-3 to <laughs> and going, oh, boy, we are in for a long season in Boulder. Obviously, I'm going to make my mind up before Saturday, but out of my two scenarios, which one is more likely come, let's call it 1 o'clock that day. Well, we are on the countdown. You can see at denversports.com, right? Okay. Two days, 14 hours, 19 minutes, and 34 seconds, 33 seconds now until the ball is kicked off. And I'll say this, well, as a, a CSU Ram, there's envy in my heart a little bit about this. Because you've seen Gladiator, correct? Yes. And there's a whisper, Maximus. (laughs) Rome was a dream. And at one point, very small amount of time, Dion was tied to Colorado State. It was only rumored. Okay. You could only whisper it. Just like Urban Meyer. Yes, you could only (laughs) whisper it. Yeah. And it would just vanish. This is my Gladiator. That's Marcus Aurelius. And now he's at CU, and obviously there's a there's a rivalry there between CU and CSU. But I am envious. But the amount of the amount of what just attention that he's drawn to that program, I haven't. Uh, I've. Uh, I don't think I've made CU appointment television football for well over fifteen years. One, I'm not a fan of that team, but two, I love good sporting. Events and they just haven't been a part of one. Not, not that the Rams have either, but this one for me, Saturday morning waking up like I haven't. I don't even know that I think college game days really got me going lately. But this one for me, I just want to see what the product is. Yeah, because there's been a lot of talk, you know, negative and positive, both sides. And I think you're probably if if you ask me the question, your first scenario where it's going to be a little bit more of a game than you think. Do I think they're going to win? Maybe not, but I think they're going to. They're going to compete for sure. So you see one fourth game, one score game in the fourth quarter in Fort Worth. Yeah, going Woo! into the fourth quarter, Cello's taking the twenty and a half. <laughs> I 
yeah. lot of points, bro. Yeah, because I don't one. I know TCU is a great football program, but it, they lost uh, a leader that you you. It's not easy to replace that kind of a guy. No, right? Matt, Max Duggan is gone, and they're they're not number two. They're seventeen. No, oh, and they went on a bit of a Cinderella run. They did last year. So I were they very good last year? Yeah, and they caught momentum and they they rode that. But I don't know how. I don't know how that translates, and it's always kind of crazy. There's always a team at the beginning of the year that everyone thinks is going to be good that falls off. They're just not as good as it. Is that TCU? Maybe. So the Buffs could catch them. I, I, you know what, though? I love your optimism, even, even as a Rammy, that we're in for a treat on Saturday because it is it is going to be deflating, and I mean deflating. If come halftime, that scores 31 nothing, and we go, oh, my gosh, prime transform this roster. Yeah, but this roster is nowhere near close to competing with the big boys of college football. And I understand it's week one, and you know you can't jump to too many conclusions. But if they get the doors blown off of them, Jello, the amount of hype around CU football—not locally, not locally—because people will get excited for Nebraska the next week. I get it, but nationally, it'll just fall off a cliff. You see, he's on the front page of ESPN.com today. You see Skip Bayless and Michael Irvin and Keyshawn mm-hmm. and Richard talking about it. They get the brakes beaten off of them. Guess what those guys are going to do? They're going to go back to talking about Alabama and Georgia, and CU football will be an afterthought. No, and I mean they would spend a little time on just how overhyped it was, right? Right. They'll rip them be, for five minutes exactly. and then move on with their and lives. then it'll be and it'll be nothing. I just I don't know. I mean, I, I'd have to go back. I don't know what his, his debut was like at Youngst or at where he was before. Where was he not Youngstown? Jackson, Jackson State. State. Yeah, Jackson yeah. State. I don't know what his debut was there. I know that he hasn't coached a ton, but what I do know is that dude has had success basically everywhere he's been. Now we're just trying to microwave it. We want, as far as what we do, like we want to cover a team that's going to be in the national narrative, and you want to get that quick. A lot of people are telling people to pump the brakes, but this game this weekend, the amount of hype that goes into that, I think they're going to hang around a little bit. I really do. I love the optimism. I think you convinced me to uh, lean that direction as well. I told you I was torn. Uh, Zach By put out his pick today. He said under three and a half. I know he got a lot of hate on that. A lot of CU fans, a lot of folks who bleed black and gold. That's a mouthful. Bleed (laughs) black and gold. uh, Telling Zach he's going to get old takes exposed. If you think they're going to play close with TCU, it sounds like you're taking the over three and a half. That's what I, if I had to do it now, yeah, that's what I would, do, I would be doing. It feels I mean, like a low total. Well, not only that, but you asked me, is it going to be a one-score game going into the fourth quarter? I feel a lot more comfortable saying that versus doing the over, the overall number. But I'm saying if they can hang with TCU, Chell, they can beat Stanford. They can beat Arizona. They can beat Arizona State. Oh, yeah, There yeah. are some cupcakes in the Pac-12. Yes, yes, for if sure. If you're hanging with TCU, you're hitting over on the air. Oh, big time. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it's been fun. I always appreciate you coming in. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. For KJ, for Cello, I'm Will. It's been Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. Come on, baby, just party with me. Let loose and set your body free.